Welcome to Life, Death, Law. I'm Liza Hanks. Birth, old age, sickness, and death are part of every human life, yet most of us avoid talking about it or planning for it. Death is like sex, really. We all do it. Most of us are embarrassed to talk about it, and most of us have questions that we're afraid to ask. Fear no more. I'm here to answer your questions without judgment. I've spent more than 20 years as an estate planning attorney, and I know for certain that you have enough information, enough education, and the financial savvy to do what needs to be done. Are you ready? Let's get started. So this is what we did back in the day. Green burial is very, it's very natural. It's something which gives back to the earth and it's a preparation of steps, which really allows us to go green, so to speak. We always talk about going green and bringing our cloth bags to the stores and recycling, but if you actually can give yourself as green as your last volunteer act, that's absolutely amazing. That's Elizabeth Fournier, otherwise known as the Green Reaper. Elizabeth is the owner and operator of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, right outside of Portland. Here's how she describes herself in her own words. She's an advocate for old school burial practices that are kinder to humans and to the earth. And she's the author of three books, most recently The Green Burial Guidebook and The Green Reaper, Memoirs of an Eco-Mortician. We had a great conversation about how families can work with funeral directors to get the kind of burial that they want for their loved ones, how you can plan ahead, what the practice of green burial really means, and the surprisingly non-eco-friendly practice of cremation. As you'll hear in the episode, Elizabeth was really forthcoming about the best way to work with funeral directors, when you have to, when you don't, things that families can do on their own. And all in all, it was a great conversation about part of -of end-of-life planning that many people shy away from until the time comes when they have to make a decision in a hurry. Don't be one of those people. Listen up. But before we get to this episode, I've invited listeners to send me questions at askliza at lifedeathlaw.com. So here goes. Ask me anything. Dear Liza, my aunt died recently, leaving her estate to me and my four siblings in equal shares. She owns some stocks and bonds and some land. Will I have to pay any taxes on my share of the distributions? So that's a really good question. And here's my answer. Probably not. Our estate tax system taxes the estate of the people who died, not the people who inherit assets. And currently, you can pass a little bit more than $12 million free of estate tax. Assuming that your aunt, like pretty much everyone in this country, didn't have more than $12 million to her name when she died, you can inherit those assets free of the estate tax. The only asset that most people have to pay taxes on are on inherited IRAs or 401ks. Retirement assets like that are taxed upon withdrawal. So if you do inherit a retirement account, you will be paying income tax on those withdrawals. But from what you've told me, you're inheriting real property and stocks and bonds. And so, no. Dear Liza, my dad had a will leaving everything in equal shares to me and my two sisters. But then after he died, we found out that he had an IRA and he left it just to one of my sisters, not to the other two of us. Is he allowed to do it that way? As uncomfortable as this is, the answer is absolutely he's allowed to do it that way. IRAs, 401ks, and any other account with a beneficiary designation go to the people named as beneficiaries. 
will or trust doesn't control those assets. So if your dad wanted to leave all of his retirement account to one of your sisters, he absolutely could. All right, that's it for this episode's Ask Me Anything. If you have a question that you'd like to have answered on the podcast, please send me a voice memo or an email to askliza at lifedeathlaw.com and you might hear it on the show. Hey, Elizabeth, I just want to thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure. I'm so glad that you are so willing to talk to all of us, death and dying and aftercare and planning people. I think it's just empowering and great conversations to get out there. So me too. And it's funny. I know I spent 20 years uh, trying to get people to do estate planning and, and you're really presenting something which is beyond what I usually talk to about with people. And I thought that it was a great connection between, you know, planning for your death and planning for your actual funeral and handling after death. And I think that your book the Green Burial Guidebook is just a really great resource for people who are interested in alternative ways of returning to the earth. If you wouldn't mind reading the paragraph we talked about, because it's such a great distillation, I think, of what you have to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. By writing out your aftercare suggestions, your loved ones will hopefully feel less anxiety. We can't control how others grieve, but we can express what we want, which will give others permission to celebrate our life by fulfilling our wishes. This may help others cope with their sense of loss and provide a channel for mourning. A lot of us forget to write down how we would want to be remembered or buried. And those are such immediate decisions that have to be made after somebody dies. And so I really love the idea of people thinking it through ahead of time and communicating that with the people who will carry it out. And so on that note, let's talk about green burial and what it is and how it's different from traditional burial and why people might want to consider it. Absolutely. So this is what we did back in the day. Green burial is very it's very natural. It's something which gives back to the earth and it's a preparation of steps which really allows us to go green, so to speak. We always talk about going green and bringing our cloth bags to the stores and recycling, but if you actually can give yourself as green as your last volunteer act, that's absolutely amazing. So if you have a body which doesn't have any sort of chemicals involved, natural body as possible, you have that body that's going to be inside a biodegradable alternative container, which could be a shroud, it could be a sheet, it could be a wood box, an ecopod, something environmental. And then we're going to go into the ground, which is completely natural. Now, what I mean by that is you're going to go into a space which doesn't have a concrete liner or a grave box or something around it. So we have a natural body in a natural container in the natural earth. Some people do this in their backyard. Some people do this in a cemetery. And it's wonderful to tell people that all 50 states have at least one cemetery that allows natural burial. And there's actually many, many, many cemeteries. So poke around, ask questions, and you'll be surprised to find out that you can bury your loved one this way in many places. So I actually had a question about that. In the book, you said that all funeral homes are legally obligated to help you plan and execute a natural burial. And I thought, really? How does that work? If it's a legal form of disposition in that state, that funeral home should be able to help you with that, such as um, where I am here in the great state of Oregon, we can offer families burial at sea. 
if that's what a family wants, I'm the funeral director. I need to be able to help the family do that or say to them, our funeral home doesn't have that on our general price list. That's something we really don't do. And then you give them to another funeral home who can help them, just like water cremation or standard cremation or any sort of burial. So when it comes to green burial, the idea of burying somebody without having any embalming fluid and not having any sort of a metal casket or a wood casket with lacquers and then having a grave space, which doesn't have a concrete liner, it is available. It is out there. And we're able to find people those options. I'm doing this podcast from California. And I discovered last night while doing my research for this podcast that in California, you can't bury somebody, you know, on private property in your home, but, but, you know, you can be buried in a cemetery, and you de- you define three different kinds of um, cemeteries: hybrid, natural, and conservation areas. And I wondered, you know, if you could talk a little bit more about the difference between those three, and how a, and how a family would see. I think one of the barriers to getting this done is people don't know what to ask. You know, they don't know what what's available, and they don't know how to differentiate what's available from what they might actually want. So I was hoping we could talk about that some. I tell people to work backwards. If you say you want a natural burial or a green burial, or you want one of these things, then let's talk about where you want to be placed to rest. You can ask your funeral home and say, I want to have a natural burial. Where can I do this? They should be able to provide you a place. If not, you can go to a website called the Green Burial Council, which has these ideas. You can ask people, there's end-of-life doulas. There's a whole myriad of ways to find out this information. Once you know where you want to be buried, then we work on what do you want to be buried in? Do you want to have a ceremony? And then from there as well, we also want to find out from there all the basic things. How many certified copies of the death certificate will your family need? days and times that you want to do things, all of that. So working backwards, know what you want to do. People don't know the questions to ask. You're right. Often I have people say, I saw this thing on Six Feet Under with Nate, the funeral director. How do I do that? Or what was that all about? So it's really education and asking questions. And if you happen to call a funeral home or a home funeral guide or someone who's not able to answer the question for you, all you have to do is call somebody else. You're not obligated with the first phone call. If somebody can't provide what you want, you simply can move forward to someone else who can. So what happened to Nate at Six Foot Under? I don't know that story. All right. So there was an HBO series and it really brought Green Burial to the mainstream. He was one of the Fisher and Sons funeral directors because he was a son there. And he really wanted this green burial. He worked at a natural food store before he became a funeral director and he had more of an eco-friendly sort of lifestyle. And this was something he read about and something he wanted. But again, the family had to figure this out. So in California, there happens to be Joshua Tree Memorial Park, which is a natural burial cemetery. His family put him in a shroud, brought him out there, and he was gracefully (laughs) lowered into the grave. And people say, wow, that was a shroud. And that wasn't sort of sanitized. And that was just the family doing the lowering and, oh, he's not embalmed. And, oh, I love that. That wasn't traditional. It didn't look expensive. I want that. So what we need to do is find out, well, where can you have that close to your home? So we're not putting you on an airplane and sending you across the country. There are cemeteries all over the place that say, yeah, I guess you don't have to buy a liner. And one perfect way to find that out is if you call a tiny cemetery someplace and say, do you offer green burial? 
they probably won't know what you're talking about. So the question to ask them is, do we have to have a concrete grave box in the grave for the burial? And if their answer is no, you don't have to have that, then there you go. You have the option for a green burial. You have the option to not choose embalming. You have the option to choose something natural, which could be the sheet off your bed. It could be a cardboard box. It could be whatever it is that the cemetery will allow for the burial to happen. And you could have a green burial just like that. So I wondered if you could tell my listeners a little bit about these um, vaults, these cemetery boxes and their purpose, because that was interesting to me. I didn't know about that till I read your book. Most cemeteries, as the funeral industry progressed, realized there's a bunch of goods and services that we can sell to families. We can have these upright headstones. We can have all this granite on the grave, or we can have a slab of concrete covering the grave as a ledger. And also another thing we can do is we can either have a concrete box inside the grave or we can have something made out of stainless steel, which is even more expensive, and we can put that inside the grave. Now, sometimes what people are told is, oh, this protects the casket, this protects the body, this is there for the perpetuity, for safety. It really isn't. It's there to keep the grave from any sort of collapsing, any sort of wavy, gravy look to the cemetery. It's when the heavy equipment rolls over the um, automated mower or the backhoe, uh, whatever goes over the grave space, the grave doesn't combust a little bit and it doesn't sink a little bit. And ultimately you have a sparkling looking memorial park where it's all even and it's the green grass and you don't have any issues. So there is a purpose for them. They do work, but it is concrete or stainless steel, which ultimately doesn't do much. Over time, everything breaks down, everything degrades. It's going to basically leach into the water system over time, the metal, the stainless steel, the concrete, because everything, again, just does go back to nature because that's just how life works. So speaking of going back to nature, if you choose not to have a body embalmed, how long can people, you know, have a viewing or or say goodbye to a body before it starts to to decompose? Because I think that's I think people are generally squeamish and don't have much experience being around dead bodies. So talk a little bit about the timing that would be involved in a natural burial like that. Well, that's a really great question and that's a real logical question. That's something that people want to know. So bodies tend to hold up Okay. It depends on the circumstances. Did somebody pass away in a home where it's 90 degrees and where they found a couple days later? Are we in a situation where um, somebody was riddled with tons of chemotherapy, so there's all these drugs inside them? Is the person extremely heavy, where there's going to be a buildup of a lot of fluids and a lot of gases that want to get out? It just really depends on what we're dealing with that way. So... When families want to keep a loved one at home for a day or two, that should really be fine. What we try to do is keep that room cool. We want to have cooling going on. Um, You can do that with dried ice, but we deal sometimes with the off-gassing or you can burn yourself. So a lot of times... You can deal with uh, something off the internet you can buy called a cooling blanket. There's something called a cooling board. You can just use air conditioning and you can have that room just be at a cooler temperature. People have used fans before. Sometimes someone passes away in the winter and it's very cool. So you kind of get the picture. There's different ways that we can use ice and different techniques for cooling, but a person should be fine. Now, ultimately, 
a body wants to go back to nature. That's just what happens. So over time, you're going to find that the tissue breaks down a little bit. And then there might be some fluids that want to escape the body and things want to happen. But keeping somebody around for a few days really ne- never is any sort of an issue. Well, well, what if a decedent wanted to be an organ donor or a brain donor? How, how would any kind of organ donation work into a natural burial? So the person would be taken to whatever facility needed to harvest whatever it is. A lot of times that's the lion's vision gift and they're going to take the corneas or something or maybe a community tissue center where somebody might take some tissue for skin, for some grafts and all that. You could possibly have a major organ harvested. Normally that doesn't happen unless someone dies suddenly, some sort of an accident rather than the body just slowly breaking down and sudden. And then from there, families have a body left over. If you're donating somebody to science, once people have taken whatever they need from the body, even if it's going to be something small like one item or they're really going to use you for science, there will be some parts of that body left over. Most of the times it's coordinated with a hospital or a donation center to provide the family with a complimentary cremation. But if you don't want your loved one cremated, at that point, the funeral home could come, bring that person into their care, and they could provide a natural burial. They're not going to be in the greatest shape, so probably not any sort of a visitation, but they don't have to be embalmed. They might have to have a little bit of stitching. If not, they can just be placed in some sort of a natural casket and have a burial. It can happen. So it's important to always know what you want and also know what that means. And sometimes when we talk about what's going to happen to you when you die, some people will say to me, oh, well, I'm going to be donated to science. But the thing is, being donated to science isn't a form of disposition, meaning that'll be in the midterm before something's actually done with your body, which needs to be something such as cremating or a burial or a composting or something will need to happen with the remains left over. Thanks for that. So now I've got two questions that come from there. So first, can you talk a little bit about what funeral directors do? Because, you know, I've been working with people for 20 years who think that lawyers are scary uh, and they don't talk to lawyers very much. But funeral directors are like a whole nother level of people we never talk to until we have to. (laughs) So could you tell us a little bit about the role that funeral directors can play in all of this and how to evaluate whether a funeral director is the right one for you? And also like, what kind of training do funeral directors have? I know nothing about this. Okay. Well, these are really great questions. And also I haven't talked to many attorneys in my life, so I don't know a lot of those things as well. Right. Yeah. I go to the dentist, but it doesn't mean that I know anything about really what they do other than what they do in my mouth specifically. So (laughs) I don't know. Do they? Right. Dentists and lawyers are like right up there and people you don't want to see very often, but funeral directors, I would submit are even higher on that list. So yeah, Why don't we demystify? In, let's demystify it a bit for folks. When people come in to see me, we'll fill out paperwork and they'll leave. They'll say, okay, I hope not to see you soon. Or I hope, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but hope not to see you again. And oh, I they tell me that, that too. Yeah, I, I completely get that. So a funeral director, a funeral service practitioner, depends on what state you live in. There is a set of rules and your license is governed by either the cemetery bureau or the mortuary board, or again, whatever entity runs your state. And that's where you get a license. That's who 
overlooks and make sure that you're practicing within your scope of practice. So somebody in my job, what we do is we help families and we oversee their form of disposition. And I keep using that word disposition because you can have whatever ceremony you want and you can have whatever celebration you want and you can do whatever you want as far as a memorial. But if there's a body involved, the body has to be made aware from when it passes away. There has to be a recording someplace of the time of death and somebody has to be able to sign a death certificate so we know that this person was supposed to die or we know how they died. The body needs to be transported someplace, either to the crematory or refrigeration, or it needs to go to a cemetery. There has to be some phone calls. There needs to be some paperwork And there might need to be a casket that needs to get purchased or something like that. And the funeral director oversees all of that. Now, in many states, the family can oversee that. And that's something families can do. You don't have to hire a funeral home. In 41 states, you can do your own thing. You can actually be in charge or have an advocate for your family be in charge. We need to be legal. They need to be ethical, meaning when somebody passes away, they will have to contact their state and get an actual working death certificate and make sure a provider fills it out. All of these things, there's a lot of steps, there's places to file things. What I tell families a lot, if they want to be the person to regulate everything, they're going to take care of either the refrigeration or the transportation, or they're going to have a burial in their yard or do whatever, no problem. But if I can just take the paperwork off their hands, it makes their life a lot easier getting a packet and filling it out with the black ink or the typewriter and sitting in the doctor's office all day and then going and driving and sitting at the county. And, you know, that's just, that's not adding to their experience. That's taking away from it. That's not being with their loved one and maybe spending their time in a way that could be more helpful. So again, sometimes families want to do that, but it's pretty rare. And the thing about funeral directors, we can do most of this electronically. It's on our computer. We can push a few buttons. So it just makes everyone's life so much easier. But I never want to put the barrier up. I just explain to families, this is what it takes. You have a choice of what you want to do. So a funeral director doesn't always stand in the back of a church in the black suit handing out memorial folders. Do you have a black suit? I have several black suits. Yeah, I've been in the industry for 32 years. So I am suited up. Okay, just checking. Not a green suit. You don't wear a green suit. No, no, I don't have a green cape either, but I have a, you know, I have, I have different color suits and dresses and I'm in the country here. Plus I have a little bit more of a casual lifestyle. I work out of a repurposed goat barn. Today I'm wearing a wonderful gray knit sweater with some black leggings. I like to look like I'm working here. So when people come in the door, they don't say, huh, where's your dad? You know, I want them to know that I'm actually the person they're supposed to talk to, but there is no reason for me to be wearing nylons and chunky jewelry and a suit because no one out here wears that. Do funeral directors always work in connection with like a physical mortuary? Is that the right word? Or are are there funeral directors who are just like freelance, you know, paperwork? That's a people? great question. That's a great question. I think most mortuary boards or mortuary bureaus would like a funeral director to be a licensed person who actually hangs their hat at a specific funeral home. That way it's sort of easier to track. There are people who have a license active and they do work out of their home. I know somebody, 
specifically who works out of their home. They don't meet with people at their home, but they're able to meet with families at their home or at a restaurant, park, what have you, take care of paperwork. They don't keep the bodies at their home. They use a third-party mortuary services where they could use refrigeration, all of those things. But they can do the tasks involved, but they outsource a lot. Is that what you, that's not what you do, is it? No, I have a building. So I am a brick and mortar funeral funeral director in the sense that I have a building. I have an established funeral home. I'm on 40 acres. I'm totally out in the country. It's not corporate looking. It's definitely not the marble facade. If you want to come in and be served coffee and have a whole bunch of snacks and have a bathroom with 10 stalls, you're not in the right place. So Elizabeth, I wonder if we could um, circle back to a question that I'd like to have answered for my listeners, you define hybrid cemeteries, natural cemeteries, and Mm -hmm. conservation, I think, cemeteries. Could you talk a little bit about the difference between those three? Because especially in a state like California, where you can't have a home burial, these are going to be your options for a natural burial. So those three designations came from the Green Burial Council, who decided that they were going to have these in certain levels for accreditation and also so people could understand what this is. A hybrid cemetery could be any cemetery out there that's already established. And what we're talking about is what you think about as a standard cemetery where you see headstones, either flat or upright. And you see the grass has been mowed and just a standard cemetery. But they've either designated an area where they're going to have green burial graves. And a lot of times that's an area that just hasn't been developed yet or maybe something that they find in the tree roots or something a little bit unsavory or what have you. And they just decide, oh yeah, there's this area, you know, the back 40, we're not doing anything with it. We're going to make some green burial grounds. And normally it ends up being a fantastic, beautiful, natural area. Other cemeteries that are hybrid model decide, well, we're going to have standard burials here where people can come with their metal casket and we can have the grave liner, but maybe every grave throughout the park, we can have a burial if they want and they don't have to have a grave liner and they can do this if they want to have a shroud great if they want to be buried in something natural fabric or some sort of natural container made out of wicker, willow, great, we can do that. So any cemetery can decide, yep, we'll allow green burial. They don't have to make a big proclamation. It's something they actually can do. I know of a cemetery in Portland where they say, yeah, I guess if somebody doesn't want to have a liner, that's fine. They don't claim themselves as a hybrid green burial cemetery, but you can show up there and not have to pay for a liner. If you don't want, they don't care. There you go. Pretty simple. So a natural cemetery, a natural burial place would be something which is just designated for natural burial. There aren't bodies anywhere through the cemetery with embalming fluid. There aren't any metal caskets, caskets with toxic glue, with any metals, with any lacquer, any of that. And if there's wood there, the wood is more of a soft wood. It's natural. Everything is biodegradable. The purpose is for the soil to be replenished, for nothing to go into the ground that's not going to fully biodegrade. Then a conservation cemetery takes us a step further, that it fully is a natural cemetery. They don't spray with pesticides. You're going to see everything natural. Every plant there is going to be something deciduous to the area. They don't allow families to come in and bring random flowers or plants that aren't something that would be grown in the area. And it's really being very careful with the ecological system and the structure. And then there's also a conservation easement 
there's more conservation legality that goes into that. And then it's kept in perpetuity. And that's a ground again, that will never be anything else other than a conservation burial ground. So for more information, the Green Burial Council has this listed very eloquently on their website. What I tell people is if there's a little cemetery next to you that doesn't seem like it's getting a lot of action, if you get a hold of them or the caretaker or the local funeral home that runs them, they'll probably be so thrilled that somebody even wants to show up and buy a grave that they won't even care about a grave liner going in there just because someone's actually coming in and purchasing property. So green burial is all around us. You know, my next question to you is going to be about prepayment contracts with cemeteries for this kind of a burial. So I know that you can buy a plot before you pass away. Are are you able to specify exactly the kind of burial you want? And or is it is that does that just depend on the cemetery? So everything is itemized with goods and services when somebody pre-plans. Some cemeteries or funeral homes use a trust, some use funeral insurance or specific insurance that. So if you're going to buy a grave, you're buying land. That's what you're buying. Now, if the cemetery happens to be a hybrid, they probably have a green burial section, or if not, you're buying a grave that you are letting them know this is intended for green burial. You don't intend to buy a liner. You might be paying for the opening and closing or not. When you pass away, your family just has to honor burying you. That's important. If you've paid, you've made written assignment of what you want to do. Family needs to honor. You bought a grave there. That's what you want to do. On the funeral home side, it's a little bit trickier where all the goods and services are completely itemized from everything from any transportation or any death certificates you want to any services. So it's all the goods and services. Did you specify casket? or shroud or nothing? Did you buy a grave liner or not? Do you want embalming or not? I've had families who see that mom has paid for a full burial. She wants the church. She wants the organ. She wants the hymns, the casket, embalming, everything. And they said, nah, our family doesn't want this. We just want cremation. So just go ahead and do the cremation. And you know, if you can refund us the rest of the money. No can do. If someone has come in and they have made the written assignment where they have signed the contract of business services and put money down, we have to honor the fact this person wants a burial. If someone just comes in and talks to me, and and even if they've given me detailed notes and it's all typed up and it's in a file and they say, I want Father Bob to talk about the time he went fishing in Nantucket and I want to be cremated and I want X, Y, and Z, there has been no signed contract, no money has changed hands. The family at that point can honor that wish or not. Super helpful. Thanks for that. And let's talk a little bit about cremation as a green choice, because I know for sure a lot of the people I work with will say they don't want to be buried. They do want to be cremated. And I think they're thinking that this is a more environmentally friendly way to dispose of their body after they die. And you make some points in the book that that isn't true, actually. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
So you are asking such great questions. And this is a really, really good one because the baby boomers came along, the people born between 46 and 64 who decided that, hey, I want to be eco-friendly and I recycle my cans and bottles. I live a green walk. I want to dye green. So I don't want to be put in the ground with the headstone and the casket. Don't embalm me. Just cremate me and scatter me to the wind. And then that way, I'm not taking up resources. I'm not going to be in the ground taking up space. And my cremains will be scattered and they will be out there feeding the rose garden or they'll be feeding the fish or something beautiful. Well, that's a wonderful, wonderful intent, but we have found out with research, the problem is when you're cremating somebody, everything in your body is basically floating around the universe. And what that means is if you have the amalgam on your teeth, if you have any sort of fillings with mercury, if a crematory operator didn't see that you had a pacemaker, there's that lithium battery with the radioactivity, maybe you're going to be in some sort of container with toxic glue, whatever it is, there is all of the butane or the propane or the fossil fuels to get that machine up to the 1800 degrees and hold that there for a couple hours and get you through the process. And everything that's burned is going up and floating out in the universe. And all those particles are flying through the air and then it's going to rain and then they're going to come down and they're going to hit the farmlands and the little chicken's mouths and the fish's mouths. And, you know, it's the whole circle of that. So we have learned that's not the best, best eco-friendly way to do this. There is now an aqua cremation, which is a water-based cremation, no flame, just water. And this is legal in 18 states in the U.S., but that number, again, little by little, it grows, it changes, it's really fantastic. We're kind of bordering 19 states. And this is just some pressurized water. You're in a stainless steel-looking tube. It's very Star Trek-y, and it's a gentle water bath. The body is going to break down, the tissue will go away. You're going to be left with a real porous skeleton. The skeletal frame, what's left over, is just made smaller, and you can hand somebody a box of human remains, which is going to be cremains. It's going to be ashes. And so it's the same output, such as a standard cremation, where you're going to get the ashes to scatter, bury, whatever. But these are going to be clean because all of that is going to be neutralized in the water that's used. That water is safe to go down into the sewage system. It's no issue. Families can have that water back to put in their garden, put on their bushes. And these ashes are ashes that actually are decent. You can't really grow things from ashes, but they're not going to harm as much if this ends up getting sprinkled or raked into some soil, all of that. Just going to ask you an annoying kind of lawyer question, which is, well, I don't understand that why would any of the toxins in like my body, you know, the mercury in my teeth and the fillings that I have, if I had a pacemaker, which I don't, in a cremation, you know, you're saying that, that those toxic materials are released into the air, but why aren't they released into the ground if I'm buried in a natural way? And why aren't they released into the sewer if I go through water cremation? Like what's, what's the distinction there? I'm just curious. Because it all neutralizes in the water. So does chemotherapy. It's okay. pretty amazing. Yeah, you, there's heat, there's lye, there's water. It dissolves and it breaks down the body into basically some liquid and into some remaining ashes. And this was started with the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And they had a body donation program. And this is for the, sort of the leftover cadavers at that service. And they've realized that this actually works really well. 
It's a really light carbon footprint because it catalyzes the hydrogen in the water and it rapidly attacks those chemical bonds between the molecules in the body. But like, how about in in natural burials, don't toxins leach into the earth? Well, what we're finding is things like embalming fluid, toxins, if you ate at McDonald's every day of your life, all these things. Sure, everything will slowly, slowly go into soil, but a lot of things dissipate. So what again, what we're finding is we're trying to be as green as possible, try to make the best choices, but nothing's ever going to be 100% green. I want to be respectful, you know, of your time. So two, two things, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you wish that I had uh, about green burial and why people should consider it? And the second one is where, so the Green Burial Council is something that you've mentioned several times as a good resource for people interested Mm -hmm. in green burial. Are there any other resources that you would like me to post in the show notes? There is a wonderful resource called the National Home Funeral Alliance, and they've done a really good job at breaking up which states allow families to provide their own transportation and which states allow families to act as their own funeral director. So that's a really great one. And they also will update all of the cemeteries in the U.S. and in Canada where you can have a natural burial. So that is a great one to take a peek at. The Green Burial Council came along a while back and they have very, very factual information. So people a lot of times are interested in this and they've heard things and they're not sure. But if you want to have fact checking, that's a great website to go to. When you want to have a natural burial, again, rather than tell your family, hey, you know, I just want a green burial. That seems so overwhelming and so vague. Let your family know I would like to be buried wherever that is, the name of the place and then the city, or if it's going to be on your private property and let them know the reason why, because this cemetery, or if I do this in my yard, if it is one of the states and one of the places where you can do that, I want to be without any sort of preparation or embalming chemicals. And I would like to be in, you know, either the container that I have waiting for myself out in the garage or those burlap sacks, or just put me in a basic, nice pine box and give them some direction. I think people always think giving your family funeral direction is saying where you want your ashes scattered. And I've had so many people over my years say, oh, but it's so hard because mom said she wants to go to Pompeii or she wants to go to Maui and I don't have the money or the time to get her there. So mom's ashes are sitting in a box under my bed. So it's not necessarily the ostentatious plan of, you know, you want that you know, concerto to sing some song and, you know, you want the lead flautist to be a specific person, maybe not putting such a burden on family that way. But if you can just say something such as, this is a cemetery I would like to go to, or I really would like that natural organic reduction because it's legal in my state, or this is what I want. Family members will come into me a lot into the parlor and say, we didn't talk about death in my family. I have no idea. Or even spouses will say, nope, we didn't talk about this. I have no clue. And then they'll say to me, what's the best option or what's the right thing to do? And you know what? (sighs) Death is hard. There is no great option. You've lost your loved one. Now you're left with physically dealing with their human remains. 
there is no great option. There's the least expensive option. There's the more eco-friendly option. There's the fancy option. It depends on what is interesting to you. But ultimately, especially with natural burial, green burial, this isn't something that people are always so aware of. So letting people know these are some of the guidelines. This is the funeral home I've talked to. This is the website I've taken a look at. This is what I want. It's much more helpful if you can actually add some details to that and put that in that bright colored notebook and let people know where that is. So rather than vague, be specific, but also let them know that if unforeseen things happen, that cemetery is full and not taking new bodies. Your family isn't failing you by not getting you in there. Yeah. You know, over and over and over on this podcast with all of my amazing guests, we often just come to the end of the interview and it's the same point, which is planning is so much better than reacting to an emergency as it's unfolding in a crisis, you know, and that's true for end of life planning. That's true for palliative care planning. That's true for when you have to go to the hospital or when you have to notify people of a terminal diagnosis. I can just think of so many conversations I've had with people where we end up at the same point, which is telling people what you want before there's a crisis is almost, is always better, right? Than waiting until you're in a crisis and and you don't have the information that you wish that you'd had. So I so appreciate you taking the time to be on the show and giving people a whole lot of options and resources and ideas about what they might want and how they could communicate it to their loved ones and for people who are planning for the death of somebody in the absence of instructions, uh, a real sense of the other options that might be out there. So, so Elizabeth, that's fantastic. And I really appreciate it. And I hope that people will take a look at your book, The Green Burial Guidebook. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And I always ask at the end, you know, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wished I had? And it's being gentle on yourself. That's a really big one. I'll get families who say, I want to keep mom at home. Mom wanted to be at home. She wanted the family to be notified when she dies. We're going to put her in her favorite dress. We're going to make a Thanksgiving dinner. Family are going to come and we're going to spend some time. And then we'll have her go to the funeral home in a day or so when we're ready. Now, if that's legal in your state, most states do say you have the right as long as you're following some rules. But what if by the time mom dies, you're exhausted? You have caretaken her. You've sat by the bed. You've been there. You can't possibly see yourself getting people together to clean the house and go shopping and make the food and do these things. And what if mom's favorite dress doesn't fit her at this point? Again, rules, plans, all of this, there's got to be some flexibility and ultimately just be gentle on yourself. Perfect note to end on. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life, Death, Law. To find out more about today's guests and to read the show notes for this episode, go to lifedeathlaw.com. And if you'd like to ask me a question to be answered on the podcast, just send me a voice memo or an email to askliza at lifedeathlaw.com. Make sure to tell me your name and where you're writing from. And who knows, you might hear your question on the show. So take care and remember, when it comes to life, death, and law, we are all in the same boat. Until next time, I'm Liza Hanks. And please remember, the information on this podcast is for general information purposes only. 
Nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create, and receipt or listening does not constitute an attorney-client relationship.